Welcome, you're listening to the Agile Unemployment Podcast, where in each episode, we take an in-depth look at being out of work. We'll talk about the programs and benefits available to you. We'll talk about the job hunting process itself. And most importantly, we're going to address the psychological and emotional impact that being out of work has on the individual. I'm your host, Sabina Sulat. I'm an HR expert and author. A few years ago, I lost my dream job and found myself unemployed for the first time in my life. I was frustrated by the lack of resources and information available to people out of work. But more than that, I was just stunned by the fact that we don't talk about unemployment. I took my experience and I turned it into a book and I now coach people to build resilience while they're out of work. If you are out of work, if you recently lost your job or maybe you've been unemployed for a while or maybe you're just afraid that you might lose your current job, this is the place to be. We're a safe place where we can talk about all aspects of being out of work. We can answer your questions and we can help you build resilience so that when you go back to work, you are stronger and more confident than ever. So let's get started. Hey everybody, it's Sabina, and I'm coming to you a little embarrassed, and let me explain. I'm recording this today. It's April 20th, and I've only released two podcasts for the year, and it's bothered me immensely I have these great intentions, but I'm always transparent with everyone here. And let me just say, 2023 is just kicking me to the curb, or at least it feels that way. I started the year with these fantastic plans. I had goals, I had spreadsheets, I had flip chart paper written up in my office, and Life seems to have other ideas, and it's bothered me. It's impacted me. I felt like a failure. I felt alone. I think things that if you're out of work, you can relate to a lot of these things. We have these tremendous intentions, and sometimes they're a little too, they're too big. We think thinking big is great. I don't want anyone not to think big, but those baby steps that get us to big are the things that confound us. They're the things we trip up on. I do that too. It's not just you. It's me. Hopefully I'm not alone in this. I feel bad that I haven't done a lot of posting, a lot of podcasting, and some interesting things have happened. And you have to look to your community. You have to look to the small victories. And the podcast has taken off in spite of my lack of nurturing for it. In the past month, we've had probably 25% of all of our downloads of all time. Its downloads are up about 200% over the past month, which is phenomenal. Let's keep it growing. It's energized me. In particular, someone reached out to me and stated that this is the number one unemployment podcast. Before you are impressed by that, keep in mind There aren't a lot of us out there. It's not a really competitive field yet. I hope to change that. I would love a little competition because every day there's 6 million Americans out of work that we track and they need as much help as they can get. You need as much help as you can get. I'm happy to do that. I would love others to join that fight, that mission. 
So I determined once I learned this information of, okay, I'm going to do better and it's, I'm going to pick one thing. I've had this podcast. It's part two of a conversation I had last year with Alistair Barton about picking at perfection. And it's so ironic that this has been my challenge. I want things to be perfect. They're not. And the fact that they're not has stopped me from doing anything. And I need to change that. So today I'm going to launch this podcast of part two of our conversation. As I was doing the editing last night, as I was listening to it again, I rolled my eyes at myself so many times thinking, why did I not do this sooner? This was advice I needed months ago. I'm not going to get caught in that. Instead, it's a brand new day. I'm going to start it by posting the podcast. I'm going to do some more outreach to people. Please reach out to me. I know there's a lot of headlines about layoffs and it's scary. Prices are up. Inflation is up. But I am also seeing people get jobs. I see jobs advertised. You can't let the bad news impact you. So keep listening to the podcast. The book is still available at cost on Amazon. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can reach out to people in your community. There are things to do every day. Just pick one step to get you back into that working phase of your life. It probably won't happen overnight. Don't worry about that right now. Worry about what you can do now. So listen to this podcast. I think there's a lot of great advice and information in it. Reach out if you need help. If you have a question, I'm happy to answer you. I get back to everybody who reaches out to me and things will get better. So sit back, listen to the conversation. I know it's going to help someone out there. How am I going to know that I've been successful in beating this idea of achieving perfection? Well, I think it's down to, it comes down to me or what it comes down to for me is happiness. It sounds like you're very happy at the moment. Do you still find yourself thinking that things aren't perfect? Taking your book as an example, is that perfectionism really holding you back? Or is it that you're getting on with it and that it's making it good and that perfectionism is helping you? Or have you pushed things back and back because it's holding you back? I love that you've completely turned this around on me. Back to you, Very well done, very skillful. I think I know that definitely I have to keep in mind that I am building a business and that doesn't happen overnight. You recommended structure and so forth. I think I could benefit from more of that. And that's something I've actually been putting in place for a while. I have an accountability partner where we tell each other what we need to accomplish during the day. And at the end of the day, we check in with each other. And so there's that nice accountability factor. I don't think it's like everything in your life is going okay. I think our lives have all these different categories and facets like health and family and money and and work. And they're not all going to be on all cylinders all the time. And I think work also breaks down. So I think the book, no, I have the second book, have gotten into the perfection thing. So that's something I need to examine and can't promise you I'm going to do it tonight, but (laughs) it'll be high on my list because I do want to get it out. But overall, yeah, I've achieved that happiness. 
do I want more? And do I think things could be better? Absolutely. And that might be that discomfort and growth that we talked about earlier. I genuinely am someone who, whatever you call it, whether it's perfectionism, whether it's being outside of your comfort zone, whether it's goals, I think we, and I think you touched on this earlier, we need some of that to completely eradicate perfectionism or drive wouldn't, would be detrimental to society, but it's just finding the right balance and setting the tone. And I think for me, I'm similar to you, my accountability partner, is actually my sort of journal that I write in the day. I write three things that I have to achieve today and that I want to achieve. Whereas my to-do list is more like 30 things. (laughs) But as long as I can look back on that day and tick off and highlight those three important things, that feels productive to me. That feels like those are the key things that are stepping me in the right direction towards whatever that big goal is. So something like that. And it kind of comes down to a little bit of productivity principles as well. So if you are looking at, okay, so my daily to-do list is about 30 items. My <laughs> whole to-do list in life is about 150. I try and keep it circa that. And I have an app that tracks all of this for me. So I oh don't sit and count them all. But you, you have to look at the individual, what you can achieve in a day. Some people might go, my to-do list is 150. Oh my God, I'm going to scan through this. And that's not productive because you can't do 150 things in one day. So making tasks attached to time is something that I find very helpful. And I certainly tell my team members to do that. When you're planning your day, don't put 30 things on the list. If all of those 30 things are going to take you an hour, you need to look at the time that you've got. And then you're almost not ending the day with, oh, I only did five of my 30 things you're ending with, I did all five of my one hour tasks and that's good. So it's almost controlling the narrative a bit and looking at the day-to-day achievements. Also something for me that I find helpful, someone once gave me the advice that the things that you consume either by reading, listening or watching, that should be treated as a diet for your brain. So what you put into your brain is going to essentially come out in it in your thoughts and in your actions so being mindful of that has really helped me that putting purely junk tv in my brain Mm -hmm. I still watch junk tv because that's fun and it's a nice way for me to switch off but being conscious of listening to things for me listening to podcasts that are at a similar level to me makes me feel part of the team and yeah I'm on a good trajectory because someone else out there is also doing it but I also listen to Diary of a CEO for example which is the top scale of podcasts out there but what Stephen Bartlett does beautifully is he does I guess a similar thing to me and ask people to talk about their journey and you can relate to those people's mega successful names but they've all faced adversity in their life they've not walked into it and been successful they have a story and they have something to tell and finding relatable things like that in the vulnerability for me is something that's really powerful both with connecting with other people, but also basing myself on where I'm at and being realistic. I think you hit on something that I definitely espouse in my work is controlling that narrative. And I don't think people understand how much control they have over their lives. And I know people I work with who are 
worried about losing their job or have lost their job feel that they have absolutely no control over their narrative, over their story. And I can definitely say that's not true. Everybody owns that narrative. It's the way you look at it. You were talking about the to-do list and you're right. We are a world of the glass is half empty. That's our the way we look at it. And it's a choice. And your choice is either to look at it that way or to look at, I have done these five things that I said I was going to do that relate to the three things I needed to focus on today. And I need to focus on that accomplishment rather than the things that I didn't do. And the power of saying that, it sounds like a tiny little thing, but it's a way of shaking off that idea of perfection and owning that accomplishment, which we don't like to own often. We don't, you said it much earlier in the conversation, taking the time to celebrate. And everything that you just said, we could talk about it for hours, but the one thing I'm taking away from this is that mindfulness, which I think is the empowering part of how we function and what we choose to accept is perfect. Maybe having five things done each day is perfect. And that's going to depend on how you look at it. And that's your choice. And to me, that's where the power is. No, I think it's all about perspective because yeah, I think the to-do list is a great example of looking at that whole picture versus at looking at what you have achieved. And I think that I can always come back to the similar points, but I've talked about this recently on a live, I think it was, but we have negativity bias as humans. So again, we, I think we're three times more likely to give attention to negative things than positive things. So again, knowing the kind of stats and the biology of our makeup of our brains like that helps me to know that I'm giving something more attention because it's negative. So looking at that in perspective helps me bring attention to what I'm seeing as positive, if that makes sense. No, it does. If we're going to bring some physics, we're like covering the gamut here, but in covering like the physiology of things, there are hormones that are released, chemicals that are released when we see something positive, when we do something positive, when we witness someone else doing something positive and it's just fires in us. And I think, again, gearing yourself towards that is a way of getting out of that gully of the pessimism of the disappointment. And it's the last thing you want to do because we sometimes enjoy being in that gully. I'll go back to your word, wallow. It is a beautiful <laughs> word because it just totally just says it all. You just hear the word, and you know what it means. And I did that. I wallowed in it for a while. And I didn't want to get out of that wallow. I knew I had to, but it was indeed getting into something positive that fired everything. And now I look back, I never want to be there again. Uh, But I think it's something that, again, I go back to this empowerment and mindfulness of making that choice and then following through. Absolutely. And I think that mindfulness, I, I don't know, that word has a bit of a I'm going to use the word reputation in my mind. When Uh I hear the word mindful, when people on Instagram, for example, say, oh, I'm being mindful. (laughs) uh, That to me conjures images of people 
sitting on rocks with crossed legs with a beautiful lake behind them <laughs> in a yoga pose or something like that. That's totally not what we mean here. Yeah. That's perfection of mindfulness. Let's talk <laughs> about this and break it down and put it tangible. For me, mindfulness could be literally like taking a second with your headphones unplugged during the day, like we're saying, and writing some key aims for the day or ticking off what you've achieved. Just drawing a little bit of attention to the day. So many times go through things on autopilot because we're in our routines. Because when things are known to us, our brains actually don't create memories in that mode because they go into autopilot. So they save capacity and energy by not writing memories. How you can create better memories is stepping out of your comfort zone. So like we're saying, stretching yourself just beyond your means if you can. But the way to pull yourself off of autopilot and create positive memories of a day is exactly as we're saying, by drawing a little bit of attention, be it written, be it vocal, be it just in your mind. You don't have to sit with cross legs overlooking a lake. It's just having a little decompressed time, a little processing time for your mind to go back into that memory making state and reinforce those positive memories. Two things. First of all, anyone listening, please take a picture of yourself sitting cross <laughs> by a lake and send them to Alistair. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes, I would appreciate that. <laughs> That'll be like the holiday card from everybody. Uh, maybe mindful. You're right. Maybe it is getting like in the US, I think it's a little touchy feeling now and mm. not everyone responds to that. So what about being strategic? Yeah. I think that's a nice, strong word that you won't see people sitting cross-legged at a lake being strategic. Um, that's an empowering word in itself. I'm being strategic about my day. Oh. I love that. No, that's an, I'm going to start using that one. It's a good, it's a good, strong word. And even as we're talking here, it's funny. It just demonstrates the point. So we're obviously talking a lot about the word perfection here. Someone else listening might have had a different perception of the word mindfulness. Maybe they were mm -hmm. hearing that word saying here and going, oh, yeah, no, exactly. I was already picturing what Alistair described. And I think that's why conversations like this, conversations with even just your partner are so important because you never know what someone else is measuring you with or what someone else's definition of that word is because things get lost in translation. People have different experiences that they're basing emphasis of different words on and meanings. So I think, yeah, just communication is what it boils down to in a nutshell. And this goes back to what you were saying about your tribe, your group. I cannot tell you how invaluable my network was to me. And I did not strategically build my network. It seemed to happen by accident. But recently I look back and I'm thinking, I have built a very strong, well-plugged-in network. I'm not sure how that happened, but I'm very grateful for it. And now I am going to actually focus on doing it in a strategic manner so that it's even stronger. But this was a group that supported me, gave me feedback, not all positive. I've learned from them. And I don't think I could have accomplished what I've done without them. I agree with you that getting out of yourself mm. and that comes back to the sharing where there are those kind of dings in the perfection that where that white picket fence maybe needs to be repainted. And yeah. <laughs> one of those children has ADHD and mm. all those little things that aren't perfect. 
you should have people around you who you trust to share those things, that imperfection to help you find that awareness, to help you find a strategy to improve, to maybe tell you, hey, this really isn't what you think it is. And I don't think this is healthy for you. That's become very important to me. You and I were talking before we started recording and last week in the US it was Thanksgiving. And I had told you I had, seriously, I had about 20 people coming over and then one group had a possible COVID exposure and opted out and it changed the dynamic of everything. It also meant that I now have half of a turkey, the size of which you couldn't believe in my refrigerator. (laughs) Uh, And luckily, rethinking the day and everything, it was just a lovely day. It was a great gathering with the people who came. I made up a care basket for the people who couldn't come and left it by the door for them so they wouldn't have to cook. And actually getting back to full circle, it wasn't exactly what I had in my imagination. And in some ways it was even better. Luckily, everybody's fine. Nobody has COVID. And deciding I'm okay with how the event is going to turn out now with the change suddenly made it enjoyable if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, it's a fine balance between having not to set expectations, but we're also saying don't have low expectations because they're very different. And actually, I want to link this, I'm going to push this back Mm -hmm. to your court because the word for me to describe that is to be agile. You have expectations, but you're able to pivot and move from those because that makes a great leader, Mm -hmm. makes a great person to be around who can sort of, they're not set in their ways, but they did have an aim for whatever's happening, but to pivot and to also get on with it and still enjoy the moment is a positive and it's such a fine balance. Now, I agree. One of the things that's running through my head, you mentioned goals earlier. We're nearing the end of the year. I don't know if you're like me, but I've got the big planner and I'm going to sit there and think, what do I want to happen? Not only professionally, but personally in 2023. And A lot of people, we all know this, they drop their goals by, I would say, like the third week in January because of that idea of over-perfection, that not being agile. And it's that combination of things. Once it starts to unravel, you just, the glass is half empty and you're going to ditch it entirely. And how do we prevent that? I think you've already answered the question and that's network for me surrounding yourself by like-minded people and not necessarily so extreme as having a mentor Mm -hmm. and accountability partner but just being in a tribe to pick up on our earlier conversation of people that is similarly like-minded because some people some of my friends aren't necessarily they might not necessarily look at me and judge all the things that I do outside of work, but they would think that's not for them. And that's absolutely okay. And I know that they fall into a bucket of social friends that we have other things in common, but then I have my, what I might call like productivity friends, which we all meet and bond and do things together that have a means to an end. We would never really be like, let's go out for drinks. It would be let's meet up and record a podcast. I've got an idea that I want to run past you. And it's almost like having colleagues outside of employment. That's the way I would describe it. And our relationship is solely built on being productive and having ideas together. So I think 
what you were saying earlier about all those different pockets of you've got your health and fitness, you've got your exercise, you've got work, you've got projects outside of work. You almost need to have little sub networks that you can go to for each of those sections to bring you up. And I think surround being surrounded by like minded people when you need it, it's very powerful for me in a sense of a higher purpose of all kind of working together and other people's energy and enthusiasm for what they're doing really lights me up and inspires me in times where I might be lacking motivation to work to whatever goal I'm thinking of. Yeah, I love that. And I'll go back to something you said earlier about the discomfort and the development. I think also having people in your network who force you to up your game a little bit helps you when you need to grow and develop. And I've definitely that I've benefited from those kinds of relationships tremendously and highly recommend it. (laughs) And another concept as well that comes to mind for this, especially if people are listening to this and going, yes, I'm goal-driven. I love being productive and things like that. That can't be 100% of your time either, because again, we were talking before we recorded this of the things that we're working on at the moment. They have a massive amount of momentum but that is not sustainable. So in January, people lose momentum for their goals, perhaps because they go in too hard at the start. And Mm. there's a bit of an in-joke between me and my friends of this, that Alistair is shiny. So I have this bio on my LinkedIn profile that's 90% virtual engagement events, 10% anything shiny. And what I mean by that is 10% of my time and what kind of makes me up and what I do is having a bit of fun. Other people call it their sandbox to just play around and mess around with things. If there's a new, I'm very technological person. If there's a new app or a bit of equipment I want to look at, 10% of my time can be dedicated to looking at and playing around with that. And I think for me, some of the things that I found in that 10% creative mess around time have actually transitioned over to the other 90% because I found something that's so cool. So allowing yourself that creative and playful space is really important. And this is something that I believe Google have in place for their employees, that 90% of the -hmm. employees' time is on their job. 10% of the time at work can be dedicated to something else, something messing around, looking at another department. And I believe Gmail was founded in that 10% time. So it has an amazing proven track record of working. So it's being driven, yes, but taking time out of that almost to play around with things that look fun and that will inspire you and that might make their way into the 90%. Can we real quick talk about one more thing, maybe Mm. more than that, but so we talked about perfection, losing it, reaching it, defining it. But one thing we haven't talked about is failure. And I, one of the things you and I have in common is that lifelong learner kind of thing. And you talking about exploring and being creative made me think about the fact that we have to be okay with not achieving something or failing and learn from it. And we haven't called it out as failure Mm -hmm. in this conversation. And, but I think it's also, I don't think I failed at that job that I lost. It was just something that happened in the organization and they needed to cut a salary last in first out is the rule. I felt like I failed and I had to get past that, but 
realizing that I learned from it or I learned from that out of work experience and have created a career out of it was turning failure into learning. And I don't think a lot of people give themselves that kind of a break. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I certainly have. And I try and take the mindset forward. This set gates on social media and I won't manage to quote it verbatim. I think it's Thomas Edison that said, I haven't failed. I've just found a hundred ways not to invent a light bulb or something like that. It yeah. might not be Edison. And again, it's very difficult to get in this mindset. It's quite easy mm -hmm. for us to sit here and say, I'm in this mindset, but people out there might be listening and saying, well, how on earth do I get into that? And I think it brings us back to that mindfulness or what was the word we swapped it with? I've forgotten. Strategy. That's it. Strategy. The strategy of looking back and being reflective on what's not necessarily gone to plan, but also what you can get out of that as well in terms of if there's, as you say, lessons learned from that section. And yeah, it's definitely just getting into the mindset of reflection and looking back. So translating this to my events career, I've, I consider myself quite fortunate because I think events is a unique, certainly reads unique to me for a job in the sense that in my line of work, I work towards a project, which is the event. And that event has a hard deadline. And that is the date of the event. Whether I've done my work or not, the event will happen on that date. So it's very time-driven. It's very fast-paced. But also, once that event ends, another event will happen. So I can look back on the, say, it's the first event of the year, and I'm moving in, it's happened, and I'm moving into the second event of the year, it provides me a wonderful perspective to have a debrief with myself and go, what happened in that first event? And what can I take forward to the next event? So I think that's, I'm very fortunate because it's almost the career structure that I've had gears itself to that kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. My advice would be to bring that forward, to, to not use the word failed, oh. but to say, what did I like? What can I improve on? And to challenge myself, what might I do to take it up to the next level? And again, that boils down to being open for feedback. If you can't see something on surface level, ask someone else that was involved in that project. And to help it not turn into a complaining session, ask, be structured about the way that you want to receive that. What did I do well? And what could I improve on? And that way you've got a commendation, but also a recommendation. So you're settling your limbic system in your brain and you'll be more open to receiving that constructive feedback. So what if we made the word fail an acronym that stands for first attempt in learning? Love that. So maybe you then didn't we can make use that the up word. On the spot. No, I didn't. <laughs> yes, I did. I am that smart <laughs> and that clever. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Copyright. And that's owning the narrative. One of the mm -hmm. things that we've been saying here is you can look at it, the word fail or the acronym. And the acronym definitely puts a more positive spin on it. It's that lessons learned that you were talking about, which I love. And I love how you phrase that of the, what went well, obviously, so I can keep doing it and not the, so what went wrong, but rather the, mm. what could happen better next time? What can be improved? And you need specifics in that situation as oh, well. Yeah. You can't, 
a six month project, you can't look at it and go, that was a failure. It didn't work and turn your back on it. You have to go, the timelines weren't quite right. And we need to adjust that next time. Branding the whole thing as a failure or as not successful is incorrect because there's always going to be something that worked. And for yourself to take that learning forward, you need the specifics. You can't just be in the mindset of last time I failed. So this Mm -hmm. time I must do better. You're probably going to repeat the same outcome if you have that. So not being, being unafraid to dial into the specifics is really important. And also knowing that you're not defined by that one moment as well, bringing up the perception and what we've talked about already and having perspective over the whole thing. Something I tell myself regularly is that I'm not defined by the individual moments. I'm defined by my overall contribution. So again, zooming out of that situation and saying, because there's so much emphasis on how valuable people are, self-value, other people's value, societal value, zooming out of that and looking at the whole picture. And again, looking back, having reflection of the value that you've provided in the past and not putting your own self-worth on that, that one entire moment, I think is also really important. I agree. One thing I think we need to look at. So I, I, have a chapter in the book. I did a podcast on what if you're not the one who's out of work, but it's your colleague, your friend, your partner, how do you behave? So how do we give that constructive feedback to somebody? How do we be that support? We've talked about it only as if, you know, what's happening to us, the person, Mm. what if we're the outsider looking in? No, I think that's a really good question. And my first gut reaction is to, (laughs) and this in my terms, as you can probably tell listeners of my show or Sabina's, I do like to give advice and I do like to talk and I do like to try and help people with their problems, but not everyone wants that. Mm -hmm. I think if you can't read it from an individual, you might want to ask whether your feedback would be welcome at that point, because for me and putting myself in those situations, I either might just want to rant and get it out of my system and not be preached to mm-hmm. an advice at the end, or I might actually want you to help me. And I think judging that conversation at that level, and it might be that they just don't want help and advice in that moment. They might come right. back to you later. In that moment, what they might need is to get it out of their system. So I think having a really important judgment or having a conversation with that individual about whether they are okay for feedback in that moment is really important because it's only going to taint the conversation moving forward. If you launch into, I would do this if that person hasn't quite invited. Yeah. I see Sabina, she's cringing (laughs) in the background. She's obviously been in that situation. So I think establishing that first is really important. And I think just making yourself available in that instance and knowing that even just by hearing that that rant that is helping that person but being very responsive and being very agile and listening I've always Mm. told we have two ears one mouth so that it should be done in that communication should be done in that exact ratio and not making the situation about ourselves if it's a partner who says comes home and they've lost their job don't say how are we going to survive? How are we going to pay the bills? Because it, it's not about the us in that situation. It needs to be about the one individual that's experiencing that. And I think there are a lot of conversations out there that 
try and get brought round to the individual versus the person who's actually sharing. So that'd be my second bit of advice. So listen, make sure that they are actually open to having the feedback and that you're providing them what they want. And then I would just say something like, how can I help? How can I help you get through this in this time? And it might be that you've got someone in the network that can help. Sabina was talking earlier about having a strong network. If you're someone with a strong network, offer that to them, offer them a mentor, offer to introduce them to someone, proofread their CV because they might be tired of proofreading it themselves. I think all those little support things can be really valuable and also helping someone do like an interview situation. I've done that lots with Rob and vice versa. <laughs> Having a little mock interview situation to get the practice up. Practice makes perfect to, to use the unfortunate P word. <laughs> practice can help. Let's rephrase it to that. So yeah, what do you think, Sabina? You must have, how did people help you? What good help did you get? And what unhelpful people did you get in your situation? Oh my goodness. So I love, I love what you said about asking first. I think the transparency as the, for want of a better word, outsider, the friend, the supporter, the network person of saying, what do you need from me in this moment? I've actually gone to friends and said, I have one friend who instantly likes to jump in and solve the problem. Mm -hmm. I've started conversations with them by saying, I just need you to listen to me right now. I don't need you to, I don't need you to problem solve it. Just please listen to me. I think, so if we're talking specifically about unemployment, that's a hard one because you're right. You never know what the other, where the other person is at, if they need to just rant, if they actually need you to do something for them, that transparency is invaluable. And I think also a lack of judgment, uh, that was my big fear. And anyone who's lost their job, we're already judging ourselves ad nauseum. We feel horrible. We feel shame. And we probably haven't even done anything wrong. It takes a lot of, I'm showing you trust by sharing with you. So if you come out with a judgment, like, how did that happen? I'm probably not going to come to you anymore for things. I also think the long game is important. The average job search is six months long. In the U.S., benefits last almost that long. And I have written about this and I've talked about it. Your friends hang out for about six months. Around that mark, that's where everybody leaves you. I had a friend who, when I lost my job, she sent me a note and she said, I'm not going to be around right now because I think you have a lot of people around right now to help you. I'm letting you know that in six months when they're gone or some of them are gone, I'm the person you should call. And I thought that was really odd at the time until I started to lose friends. And sure enough, I called that person and they were there for me. Mm -hmm. And she said it was crowded. There was nothing I could have done when it first happened. But now that it's becoming longer it's, I'm available. And I thought that was one of the most thoughtful things anyone had done for me was recognizing that I would need somebody at that point. And the fact that she'd written a note and let me know that it wasn't 
personal. In fact, it was very strategic uh, on her end. And I very much appreciated that. So I think it's also being realistic about what you can and are willing to give and do for that person. I had someone hand me a check, a very big check without my asking when I needed it and said, this is not a loan, it's a gift. And it was not someone I was exceptionally close with. And they said, I've been there. So I think from the employment perspective, it's those things. It's putting yourself in the shoes of what if it was you and what would you want and need? I think that's crucial for most human interaction, to be honest, and understand I'm going to have days when I wallow (laughs) and days when I don't. All of that is really important. And I think that really does cross over into life in general. I do not want to be defined by my worst five minutes as a human being. And there are people around me who have witnessed that, unfortunately, when I've been tired or upset or angry or depressed. And I have been judged by that. And so I think in work, we don't want to be judged by that worst mistake we've ever made at work. And we've all done it. Like if I were to ask you, what was your biggest mistake that you made at work? Good one. Oh, I've probably made all sorts. I would say most visible mistake. And this is something I've talked about on a podcast recently as well. Was because for an event, obviously your yeah your mistakes are hung out to dry. To put it quite honestly, if you haven't done something, it, it might be evident when it doesn't show up. I pride myself on being a very detailed person. I had an offsite dinner that we were hosting and organising in London, and I'd booked the coaches to pick people up from the hotel that they were staying at, and to take them to this lovely medical themed venue for their dinner. Mm-hmm. My mistake was not following up in making sure that everyone had everything they needed. So when I booked these two parties, I put them in touch with each other and I said, can you two liaise about where to do drop off and load in for the coaches? Obviously big buses, not ideal going around London in a city. And I never followed up for the conclusion of that. So I didn't get all of my information. So Maybe part of me was a bit too trustful. Maybe part of me was not too diligent or I was probably pulled away on something else, to be honest. And then when we got there on the day, people were in the coaches, in the buses on the way. And the lead host of the coach group phoned me and said, where do you want us to drop these people off? Because we can't get up to the venue. They'll have to be on a (gasps) adjoining street. And I was like, oh my goodness, life flashed before the eyes kind of situation. So I had to run down this high street, flagging down these buses because I was already at the venue. I was there ready to greet people and bring them in. So there was a sort of adjoining alleyway from this venue. It was quite a gross alleyway, I might add, from this venue to this street where the buses could actually get down. And I was running, flagging people down with a clipboard and underneath in on the surface, I probably looked like I had some level of control, not 100% control, but I probably looked like I was in control. Maybe not necessarily expecting this moment, but people probably had enough trust in me to follow like (laughs) I knew what I was doing. Whereas underneath underneath the surface level, I was drowning inside. But you have to be that leader in that kind of moment and be the person that people rally behind, not the person that panics and spreads that panic of other people. 
And people always, colleagues on that job were like, God, how are you not so self-conscious that you couldn't run and wave down that bus? I would have died of embarrassment if that were me and I wouldn't have been able to do it. And I think that, again, linking back to a previous topic we've already covered, it's that purpose of helping people. I was driven by the innate need to serve, to have give these people what they paid for and what they come for. So something almost took over me because the purpose and the passion was almost taking the steering wheel and taking over in that moment and a little bit of adrenaline as well, I'm sure, and losing that that self-consciousness. So it's a good story. It's a bad story, but that was definitely a mistake that I had made. And since then, I've learned from that. Well, and I would say from what you're telling me, you made the mistake, but you didn't just throw up your hands and walk away. You didn't text everyone and say, you have to walk up this disgusting alley. You, It's how you react to the mistake that is really the important thing. And we're all going to make these mistakes. And how you react to it is the fact that's not going to be the thing that defines you. Exactly. And the winning the- moment of that was that Alistair ran down the high street and got the guests into the venue. It wasn't, what people remembered wasn't the fact that the coaches couldn't pull up. It was the fact that it was resolved. So it's it's a little bit about the lasting, especially in events and hospitality, it's about the lasting impression that you leave people with. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it sounds like you have a really solid supportive network, which obviously we've talked about already, mm-hmm. but more so from what you said there. And Going back to the conversation about how to help people, I think that what you said was really key, but also quite subtle in that you said people should say, what can I do for you in this moment? And I think language and subtlety is really important in that kind of situation. Mm -hmm. The what implies that you're already geared and happy to help, whereas a lot of people might end that message with let me know if I can do anything and that for me is like passive language and is showing almost resistance maybe they don't mean it that way but that's certainly the way that it can come across because then the onus is almost passed on the person that needs help to reach out whereas the proactive conversation about what the person can do has been started by the person that is offering the help and that's just a, a tiny difference that makes a massive impact would you agree I totally agree. And what's going through my mind, so I'm going to I'm going to bring up possibly a touchy topic in the UK, but Meghan Markle wrote an editorial where she used the phrase, are you OK, as opposed to how are you? And like in the US, we are geared, we are programmed to respond good or fine If the house is on fire, if we've just gotten a horrible medical diagnosis, we are programmed to say, especially women, everything is okay because we're not to burden other people. But when you ask someone, are you okay? That brings about a different response of, if you say, yes, you're okay, you really mean it. If you say, not really, that opens the door for other conversation. Mm. And it's a subtle thing, but I think for anybody who's going through something, let alone unemployment, those kinds of things always meant so much to me. It's something I ask every client at the beginning of a session. When I present to a group, it's one of the first things I ask everybody. 
because of the response it elicits. It makes me active in what's going on with you rather than the outsider. It lets me know that I actually care. No, definitely. And a friend, Helen Pettifer, and I think this is a maybe a national initiative. I can't remember if it was in line with World Mental Health Awareness Day or something along those lines, but there's this Ask Twice campaign. Oh. How are you? And if someone, you're right, the knee-jerk gut reaction is, yeah, I'm fine, how about you? And the campaign is all about asking twice to figure out I how you really situation of giving a person a chance to redo their response and be a bit more open and be realistic because it's totally... I've tried to start answering that question a bit more honestly and a bit more openly yeah. of rather than being like yeah I'm fine how about you it's giving a more balanced response again opening up conversation but sometimes other people aren't necessarily geared for you to reply yeah. with oh I'm actually really stressed and this is going on when really what they wanted you to say was yeah I'm fine how are you <laughs> yeah oh and I do love that asking twice thing because I think it does I've done that with people like, how are you really doing kind of thing? And it's amazing the impact those tiny acts of kindness can have on somebody. And that's just one of them. I love that. I'm going to, I think you in the UK handle mental health much better than we in the US do. I think you're starting to really make it a normal conversation. It definitely is taking making leaps for sure I think there's still perhaps a level of some uncomfortability but yeah I think definitely the pandemic for the UK because of the lockdown it got catapulted I think if we didn't have Mm -hmm. the COVID situation we would be in the same position of not having this sort of more open conversation but I think that time offline out of routine or not doing the sort of fast-paced work that perhaps people are used to brought things into perspective. Perfect way to illustrate what we've been talking about. It put things into perspective about actually life isn't all about achieving things, salaries, job titles. There's my feelings underneath all of this. And it gave people the chance to step back and open the door, which I always talk about things having silver linings. Of course, the pandemic was tragic in everything that is experienced, but we can learn things from it. And positive things have come out of that situation, including, as you say, in the UK, the wider conversation on more open conversation about mental health we have a long way to go here hopefully conversations like this if you've got a u.s listenership it spreads the word and maybe this conversation even might help someone with their mental health it doesn't necessarily have to be seeking professional help always it can be just picking up little positive tips here and there that prevent you from needing going up to the scale of needing professional help of those little sort of Mm check-ins perhaps I think so I think so find your tribe exactly oh should we wrap up should we do one final (laughs) how about you give one final takeaway and tip to be agile and I'll do one for how not to let perfection rule your life okay wow thanks okay how to be agile I think So I'm going to put it in the perspective of unemployment. I hope that's okay. Or really any event. One of the things, I think the best way to build agility is to realize when you're going through something that it is a moment and not the rest of your life. That 
you will get through it. And every tragedy I've been through in my life has made me a better person. It's made me appreciate things more. It's made me stronger, but it's also prepared me for what might come next because I've learned, again, it's a moment, a phase. It doesn't define me and it's not how I'm going to spend the rest of my life. And I think keeping that in mind will hopefully get people through it. Not any quicker, but maybe it'll make it slightly easier. Love that. The the Stoics have a mantra of this too shall pass. And mm. that kind of comes to mind. It's a wonderfully eloquent way of saying, I'll get over this or we'll move on. Life goes on. So I, I really enjoy that mindset. Yeah. I'm going to finish with saying that I think individuals should try and choose progress over perfection. I think that's a really good way to encapsulate everything that we've been saying. Go for daily steps towards bigger goals and choose to pay attention to progress versus perfection. And I would also try and write something. If you're still struggling and thinking about, I don't have the perfect life, just take a sheet of paper or a blank word document or something along those lines and write the title perfection at the top. And write down what you think that actually involves because it's very untangible as a quality. So if yeah. if you write underneath that being happier, then you can work towards something that will make you feel happier rather than thinking my life isn't perfect. Perhaps try and translate into a more tangible value from writing your definition against that. And always use your own definition of perfection versus societies versus social media versus anyone else's definition of what your perfect life should be. Yeah. If I may piggyback on that, my life is far from perfect, but as I said earlier, I don't think I've ever been happier or more content. And so maybe the P word should be replaced by happy or happiness. Absolutely. I choose happy. I think yeah. it's another good comes from the program, The Big C. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but she says that yes. a lot in there, which I love. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Listeners, you can hear my voice breaking. I need to go and have a drink <laughs> <laughs> and go and watch some junk TV. Absolutely. Sabina, this has been such a pleasure. And again, I want to be transparent. So listeners, we jumped on this call and it's been so long <laughs> in the diary and pushed around that we opened this call with whose show are we recording for again? What are we doing today? And we had a little laugh about that. So we decided to just press record and wing it. Really hope you've enjoyed it. Sabina, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Always. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Take care, everyone. And there you have it for today. I hope you learned something or heard something today that is helping you as you are in your out of work journey and that will help you normalize the conversation about being out of work. If you heard something that resonated with you, please show us support, subscribe, like, or comment on something. If you'd like to learn more information, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Sabina Sula. I'm the only one. You can also reach out to me on my website, reworkingworks.com. You can also email me at s-s-u-l-a-t at reworking.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to know about private coaching, more about the book, more about the podcast, I wish you luck in your getting back to work journey. 
I hope that you've learned something here that if it hasn't made that journey a little shorter, it's at least made it a little easier. Until next time, thanks for joining.